Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. All right. Well, honestly, I feel like there's so much momentum over these last few weeks in our body. I feel like you could say anything right now and it'll be faith for it. Um, but the last few weeks has been, I believe, is, is so, so beautiful in where we're going and where we're just going to stay, which is, is this topic of repentance. And we've been there now for uh, two weeks. I started off and then Pastor Crystal, how many of you guys were really blessed last week? <laughs> My heart was just ripped open. Uh, it was really, really amazing. And, uh, and we feel so much life in this. And part of it is I really feel so much of what we're longing for in terms of personal transformation, personal revival, seeing the city awakened, is really connected to growing in repentance and learning what that means as Christians to grow in a lifestyle of that. Um, When I study through the scriptures and through church history, it's not the only thing. There's many things that we talk into that are important to see people revived and renewed. But what you'll find is a common denominator is, is repentance. It's a common denominator through every major move of God. And I really believe that what God is, this is such a necessary step to the things that we're standing for, the things that we're praying for, the things that we're believing for. As we grow in this, I know that on the other side is times of refreshing, is is the things that our hearts are aching for. And what I find in church history and even in the scriptures is that when God moves mightily, revival, awakening, what you find is that God has a part and we have a part. And we can never do God's part, but he will not do our part. He will give us the grace to respond and do everything that we need, but he waits. And one of those responses, it's not the only one, but one of them is, is to turn our heart fully to the Lord and say, God, just, just, God, go through my life. And whatever it's not meant to be there, God, I want to release it to you. And then the other side of that is freedom, renewal, refreshing, and revival. So I feel that what we're doing, we're really recapturing the beauty of repentance, And just to be clear, when I say that, I don't mean that repentance is always easy. I understand breaking agreements with things in our life, in our mind, in our heart, in our lifestyles, it's not always an easy process. But when we start to learn what's on the other side of it, we come to realize how beautiful it is. When we start to trust in the goodness of Christ's leadership, we can actually rejoice when the Holy Spirit begins to put his finger on things in our life and says, hey, I want this to go. I want you to come up higher here. I have so much more for you. We actually find the beauty of that. So I believe God is helping us to recapture the beauty and the necessity to be maturing Christians by living a lifestyle of repentance. Okay? Um, Acts 11.18, it says, God granted the Gentiles repentance that leads to life. Two things. God grants them repentance, which means repentance is a gift. Repentance is not a bad thing. It's a gift that God's given us. That when our hearts come out of alignment with God's will, and we feel the effects of that, the dullness, the passivity, man, the zeal of the Lord just feels like it's not there. God's given us a gift to be able to turn and have fire come back in our hearts again, to have passion come back in our hearts again. It's not just... Repentance is not just for the unbeliever to enter into the kingdom of God, although that's important. It's actually meant to be a mark of a growing Christian. And so it says that he grants us repentance that leads to life. Not only is it a gift, but repentance is life-giving because it leads us to the giver of life. It detaches us and, and dethrones self and gets us reconnected with him who is life. God wants to deliver us from the life of self. 
and experience Him, all right? So I feel God is calling us to stay here. I thought it was going to be like a week or two, but we really feel to stay here until we see the fruit of what we're talking about, right? Because we, listen, we live in an age of information where the information becomes God. In other words, once we get the new information, we love it, now let's move on to the next thing. And st- but what we don't do is we don't let that, that truth begin to take root in our lives and begin to actually be, be lived out. We don't just want information for the sake of information to say, okay, I got how it works now. We want that truth to manifest from our lives. So the Lord says, stay here until you're bearing fruits of repentance, okay? So if you guys could, I want to share, Luke 3 is where we're going to really go, but I want to share Hebrews 6 really quick on something that um, the Lord highlighted with, I, I really believe is part of the reason why he's calling us to stay here. Hebrews chapter 6. I want to share Hebrews chapter 6. I want to look at a scripture in Acts really quick. And then the heart of where we're going is Luke chapter 3. Okay? So my main point is that I don't want to really spend too much time here in Hebrews 6. But I do want to give a, I just need to give some context to understand this. And I really feel part of the reason why I feel God saying stay right here is is answered in this scripture. And here's what's happening. In in Hebrews uh, chapters 1 through 5, the author of Hebrews, there's some discrepancy on who it is, but the author of Hebrews gives one of the greatest expositions on the superiority of Christ. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than angels. He's greater than the the priesthood under the order of Aaron. In fact, he doesn't even come under that order. He comes through the order of Melchizedek. He's greater than the sacrificial system. He is the perfect lamb. All of these ways, he's just going through and saying he's superior. Christ is superior. And what he's getting at is that the covenant that we have is superior. And when you get to the end of chapter 5, you can almost feel the ache in the heart of the writer of Hebrews that that what he's laid out is just so that he could now get into like the application of the exaltation of Christ. Because he's so superior, what he really wants to say now is now because of that, here's what we get to do. We get to plunge into the depths of God because the veil's been torn. Because he is the perfect sacrifice. But he says, I cannot do that. He says, because we should be on solid food, meat. He says, but I still need to go through milk with you, right? Really, really important. And this is, I just want you to stay with me. He says, I want to go deep, but we can't yet. And he gives this illustration of milk and solid food. And here's the idea, right? I have, my youngest is Phoebe. She's a year and a half. Caden's my oldest. He's nine. And then I'm in my 30s, right? I won't give you the exact age. You got to try to pick it out. (laughs) So you have these three age groups, right? Phoebe, Caden, and myself all have hunger pains. There's all, we all cry at some point for to eat something. But when Phoebe's hungry, she wants a bottle of milk. When Caden's hungry, he wants chicken nuggets. <laughs> and when I'm hungry, I want surf and turf. <laughs> I want a filet mignon, right? The point is we all have hunger pains, but as we mature, our appetite should be changing. How, how strange would it be for me to come home and say, Crystal, I'm so hungry, can I have a bottle of milk? <laughs> you would, we would say that was strange. And so what he's saying is, guys, I want to take you deeper. And he's not, he's not bypassing the milk, it's so important, but he says, I want to go, I want to go deeper. And then he, so he says this in, in uh, chapter 6, verse 1. In light of all that, he says, therefore, Hebrews 6, 1, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, 
Ready? And he lays out five or six things that are really foundational. I just want you to see the first one. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. So he says, man, do you understand how superior Christ in the covenant? We can go so deep in this, but I can't yet until we've laid this foundation. And the first one is repentance from dead works unto faith in God. And I feel like the Lord, I feel the zeal of the Lord for us, like so jealous and like excited to take us into the things that our hearts are longing for. I mean, to really see a renewal across the city and in our lives. But I do feel the Lord is saying, before I do that, we've got to lay down this foundation right here. This thing has to be a part of our lives. One of the most sobering scriptures that I read a few months ago that just rocked my heart is in John 16, 12. Upper room discourse, Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples, and he says this. He says, there are many other things I want to share with you, but you would not be able to bear it right now. Now just think about that. God is saying there is so much more I could go into with you guys, but not yet. You would not be ready for that. And I feel the Lord is saying there is so much more, guys. The stuff you're feeling, you're not crazy. You know, you haven't seen all the things. It's not because you misheard, but there's a process that's going through. When this thing becomes a part of our life, you're going to see those things. Listen, one, one other thing. I think one of the mistakes that can happen when you read what we just read is, is to think that maturity, what the writer's saying is that maturity is, is a Christian who moves on from repentance. In other words, that's something we once did, but now we're moving on from it. That's not what he's saying. The benchmark for maturity in a Christian life, one of them, is not moving on from repentance, but it's repenting faster. That's what he's saying. In other words, Pastor Crystal laid out beautifully conviction of the Lord. Right? Feeling godly sorrow, that's the first step. From there, at some point, we're called to, as we've been talking about, turn to the Lord in that area and respond and submit. So you've got this gap of conviction and repentance. And the author of Hebrews is saying that gap is called maturity. And the bigger that gap is, the less mature we are. But the, fa- the, the smaller that gap is, the more mature we are. Meaning when the Holy Spirit starts saying, hey, I want this to go, this to go, trust me here. The faster we respond, he says, now you're growing, now you're growing, now you're growing. And so as we're growing the Lord, the more we do this, and on the other side of it is like just blessing and the power of God is going to come and the purity of the Lord. All right? So part of I feel of God saying to stay is get this foundation in our lives. So real quick, Acts chapter 3. And then we'll, uh, I'll share Luke and we'll pray. Acts chapter 3. Now, I'm going to read verses 18. Uh, I'll read to verse 20. Last time I spoke, I shared this very verse. I'll be honest, I feel like I may share it every single time as long as we're doing this. Because I almost, I almost feel like what God is, with this scripture, God's given this as a promise for us that we are to stand on in this season right now. And so, if you remember, it's Peter, John, a man's been healed. And crowds are now gathering around wondering how this man could be healed. Peter sees it as an opportunity to now preach the kingdom that he just demonstrated. And in verse 18, I'll pick it up, it says this. Acts 3, verse 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So the hour has come. The king has come. His kingdom's here. The age of the spirit is here. The age of grace is upon us. Here's the response as a result. He says in verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back. Turn to the Lord. Here's the fruit of it, that your sins may be blotted out. And here's the one that I feel God is just pounding in my heart. Verse 20, 
that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And then it says, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. There's many fruits that come with repentance, but one of them that I feel God is just really like narrowing in for us is that when we repent, when we turn to the Lord, and we allow the Lord to go deeper and deeper in our life, on the other side of that is times of refreshing. Times of refreshing. That means renewal, revival, rejoicing, release, put whatever word you want there. But when one responds to the Holy Spirit and says yes to that and says, God, do whatever you want in my life. I want to go deeper with you. The other side of that is being revived. The word refreshing, if you remember when we talked about this, is means recovery of breath. So just as God breathed into Adam and sin tainted that, Jesus has reinstated that breath. And when we turn to the Lord, you receive. Have you ever seen someone who, needs, who, who, is, who is suffocating? Have you ever been there? The need for that breath, and when you finally get that, I, I played lacrosse. I remember one time someone was threw me a pass, the goalie, looking here. We were playing Ohio State, and when I turned, I literally was just crushed and blown up on the field. I was on the ground just rolling around, going, trying to gasp for breath. The greatest thing ever is when breath came back. <laughs> breath came back. Listen, the Lord, the Lord wants to bring breath into our lives. It's the Holy Spirit. And again, as Christians, as Christians, it's not that we lost Holy Spirit, but there are times we need to be revived and, 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 and refreshed, and it's like a fresh wave of the Spirit comes over us again. Again and again, guys, this, this breath that comes on the other side of repentance, it's the breath that came in Ezekiel 37 in the Valley of Dry Bones. If you feel like death in your life sometimes, I know I've been there, I'm like, oh, I've just so come out of alignment with what God wants. When you turn your heart, that's the breath that hits you. Resurrection life comes back. Isaiah 35, it says that our God is a God who can create an oasis in the midst of a wilderness. If you're dry, if you're barren, let the Lord lead you. Let him show things in your life and then just give him your yes in that area and watch how rivers of living water will flow once again. No matter how weak that response may be, God comes rushing in and does an incredible, incredible work in our lives. Notice that it says times of refreshing, not just time, plural, again and again and again and again. This is something we could experience again and again and again. I shared it before. As believers, when we come out of alignment with God's will, we feel the weight of that. And God says, you don't have to stay there. I've given you a gift. Turn to me and you will experience freshly another time of refreshing. Another time of refreshing. Another time of refreshing. Where does the times of refreshing come from? Presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. Guys, we individually, this city, this island, this nation needs a refreshing that can only come from the presence of the Lord. It cannot, it cannot come from the political circle. It cannot, listen, this refreshing, I can't take a long enough weekend to get refreshed like this. I can't extend my vacation long enough to get refreshed in what this is saying. I can't binge watch my favorite show or play a game long enough to experience the refreshing that's being offered here. This refreshing only comes from a heart that turns to the Lord. It's something amazing where the heart comes alive again. And so what I want to do is I want to set before you in, in Luke 3, in just a moment, I want to set before you this principle of repentance and refreshing, repentance and revival. And once again, just let the Lord do his work. And we're going to see, I'm telling you, I just feel as we keep drilling this, we're going to bear fruit in this. We're going to bear fruit, and revival is going to touch our hearts. Uh, we'll see if we have time or at some point over the next few weeks, I'll just interject different revivals in church history and just the way that God used 
repentance to actually awaken and just incredible moves of God that happen from it to stir our hearts for faith to say yes to this, okay? So real quick, before we go into Luke 3, so we're all on the same page. When we, when we started off in this series, what is repentance? I can't go through it all, but really quick, when we, when we hear repentance, a lot of times we think of an emotion. Now, to be really clear, when God touches things that we've been stuck in, yeah, it's, it can get emotional. I mean, there's, we're humans, there's, there's pain, there's, there's, there's joy, there's a lot of things that can go on. So having an altar call where there's a lot of emotion is beautiful and can be a necessary part. Pastor Crystal mentioned this. But it's more than just an emotion. It's an actual change. There's an actual change, of course, where we're actually turning from something and turning to God. Now, how does one make that change? Scripturally, there's three things that happen. Probably the most important is the change of mind. And we'll get into that in the weeks to come. The change of mind, it's a change of heart, and it's a change of action. And in all these ways, we change and turn a new course of direction where we're now walking in what God has asked us. And there's life in that direction. Okay? Repentance always precedes encounter. So when God, when we repent, what's happening is we are breaking agreement with lies that we believed. We're breaking agreement with lifestyles that we've settled in that's counter to what God wants. We're breaking agreement with idols of our heart that have stolen real estate that belongs to Jesus only. And we're saying, God, I break these things. I'm breaking these things by your grace, and I'm turning to you. And what you experience is the life of being set free. He's a good leader, and what he has for us is better than what we've settled in. Yes? So let's go to Luke 3, and we're going to see this principle. Luke chapter 3. And this is where I really want to take off on this. And by the way, um, I just felt to share this. What does this mean for a believer? I know I keep sharing this because a lot of times, again, we think of an unbeliever repents and is born again, which is true. But what, what, is, what does that mean for a Christian? I want to be so clear that when we talk about repentance for Christians, we're not talking about atoning for our sins. Only the blood of Christ can atone for your sin. When we repent as Christians, we're not, we're not getting right again with God. All right? We're not, we're not earning favor with God. We're not making ourselves miserable to earn favor with God. The only thing that can make us right with God is what Jesus did for us on the cross. But what happens is, is as Christians, we can be in covenant with the Lord. We can be in marriage covenant with Jesus and not experiencing the fullness of that communion. So what happens is sin crushes our capacity to delight, enjoy, rest, sense the union that we've been brought into. And the more that we learn to repent when the Holy Spirit highlights things in our life the more we'll be able to actually delight, enjoy, and experience the fullness of what it means to be united with Jesus, okay? So, so as Christians, when we repent, we're not repenting from a place of despair, hoping that we will be found again. We are repenting as children that are confident that we belong to God because the only thing that keeps us is the blood of Jesus. So we come as, with confidence. In fact, the more you understand that, the more you can open up your heart in fullness, the more vulnerable you can get, the more deep you can get, the faster you will repent because you realize your works is not what keeps you. But it's the perfect work of Jesus, okay? So let's look at this. Luke chapter 3. All of that to say this, that the Lord's got us right here. Repentance leading to times of refreshing. Now, I'll be honest, we're going to share a good portion of this because I want you to see this, the context. And most of this chapter is rooted in the idea of repentance, and it's about John the Baptist. And I just felt, even though we're not going to expound deeply in each thing, I felt that we should work through this and, see, and you could see it in context because there's just so much life as we do it. 
So I want you to hear this so that we understand what we're about to jump into. John the Baptist, John the Baptist is considered a forerunner, which means he prepared the way for Jesus. Matthew 11 says that John, one of his titles is he was called the Father's Messenger. That's such an intense title that the Father said, this is my messenger. In other words, it's like the Father says, John, I've handpicked you to introduce my son into history so that they would have a right idea about him. Beloved, when we read about people in the Bible, every single thing we can, we can pull from, but there are certain and unique characters like David and John that when you start to engage in their lives, you're beginning to tread on holy ground. John, there's something about the life of John that is really set apart, that because he's handpicked by the Father, we need to reorient our lives according to the message of John. I believe God wants us to freshly receive John's message, and God's going to call us to be ones who deliver John's message again. Because just as John prepared the way for the first coming, God's raising up men and women in the anointing of John the Baptist to be forerunners for the second coming of Christ. And I believe God wants our house to be a people that prepare the way. And we need to hear how the Father wanted the way to be prepared for his son, yes? So John, you know what? I wasn't going to read this. Come back one chapter. We're going to do the whole book of Luke. <laughs> Bible study. No, no, no. I want, to read one th- I want to read one thing here. The Gospel of Luke, so you understand that the first few chapters, it fluctuates back and forth between the life of John and the life of Jesus. So Luke chapter 1 is about John. Luke chapter 2 is about Jesus, then Luke chapter 3 goes back to John, then Jesus, and now John's out of the equation after that. But the point is this, is that what we're about to read, the last verse of Luke chapter 1, if you were to take out chapter 2 about Jesus, it leads you right into chapter 3, okay? So this is what's going to set us in motion. And I just want to read one verse, which is verse 80, all right? Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, was told that he's going to have John. He didn't believe it when the angel told him, so his mouth was muted, Now John's been born, his mouth has been opened up, and for the last 10 verses, he's prophesying over Jesus and who his son John the Baptist will be. And then right here in verse 80, I want you to see this. It says, and the child, meaning John, Luke 180, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Or some translations say, until the day of his manifestation. Chapter 3 is the manifestation of John. Guys, I believe in days of manifestation. I believe in days of public appearance. In other words, I believe everyone in this room, before you were ever born, God breathed purpose into you. And I believe that there are days through your obedience, your faithfulness, your stewardship to what God has breathed in you, that you will actually come into alignment with that and begin to walk in it. John had a day of manifestation. John didn't have to go looking for it. He didn't have to promote his way up to it. He was faithful in the wilderness when no one saw him, but God saw him. And at the proper time, God says, now, John, I'm releasing you. Everyone in this room has a day like that. In fact, sometimes we go through ebbs and flows. God releases, and then we go back into hiding. And we just get prepared again, and God releases us again. John is released to go into the wilderness. Now, we don't know for sure, but it's widely believed, and I would hold to this, that John probably went into the wilderness around 12 years old, somewhere in that vicinity, at an age when he can begin to take care of himself. His parents brought him in there according to what God had said. So at 12 years old or so, John goes into the wilderness. Now, where did John go? Because I've got a lot of pictures. Was John just on his own? Like, what was he doing there? Well, again, my belief, which a lot hold to, is that John... It's all right. We just let the wind blow. (laughs) John, John most likely got plugged in with a community that lived in the Judean wilderness. 
The name of this group is called the Essenes. They were a radical sect of Judaism that gave themselves over to a consecrated lifestyle. They fasted, they prayed, they worshiped. They ate the Torah and the prophets. And John from the age of 12 was growing up in this community. What was he doing? Getting clarity over Jesus and the Messiah. So that when John is released on the day of his manifestation, John was able to say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How could John know that? Because I believe when John was in the wilderness, he was eating books like Leviticus, knowing that God had always provided a lamb and he was going to do it again with perfect blood. John knew that Jesus was the lamb of God. He knew that he was judge. He knew that he was, he was bridegroom. He knew that he was baptizer of fire. John knew all of these things because he was getting connected and getting clarity on Jesus was. I picture it like this. John in the wilderness is like an electrician. He's wiring a house. All the wiring's perfect, but then there was a day of manifestation where the light was turned on. John was released then. You know what's amazing? You know how long John's ministry lasted? Some say six to 18 months at most. Thrown into prison and eventually beheaded. 20 years of preparation for six months of ministry. Today we want six months of preparation for 20 years of ministry. That's a whole nother message in itself. But listen, serious, I feel the pull. I want to I wanna be known. I want to be seen. I want this. God says, will you just wait on me? Would you just trust me? Would you let me do the work in you? John gives us an example of how to be a man and woman that prepares the way of the Lord. We have nothing to share if we've not received it from him. Nothing to share. God wants to just put things into our heart that we would come out like a burning fire. And that's what happened with John. So let's go to chapter 3. The day has finally come for his manifestation and his public appearance. He's being released from the wilderness. So listen, the first two verses of Luke chapter 3, as John's about to be released, the, God, the, 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 um, the author of, of the Gospel of Luke is, is Luke the, the physician. He begins by almost providing this organizational chart of the most prominent political and religious leaders of the day. Let's just check this out. Look how it starts. Verse 1, Luke 3, it says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. He starts at the very top. That would be like saying in the year of whatever president it is, right? He then goes on to Pontius Pilate, who's the governor. It would be like going to the governor of New York. And then from that, he begins to break open the local leaders within that region. Herod Antipas, Herod, uh, he talks about Philip. He lists out a few of these guys that are called tetrarchs. So John, uh, Luke has provided this this, this like pyramid of the leadership, the most dominant influential men of the day. And then in verse 2, he says this. Not only is he talking about the political realm, he says, during the high priesthood of Annas and uh, Caiaphas, those are the leading individuals in the religious circle. So Luke has laid out your most dominant political figures and your most dominant religious figures. But check this out. Look what it says. In the reign of all these men, in the year that all these men were leading, it says the word of God came to John. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. The word of the Lord did not go to Caesar. The word of the Lord did not go to Pontius Pilate. It didn't even go to the high priest. It went to a lowly, humble man who was faithful in the wilderness that no one saw, but God said that man right there is going to prepare the way for my son. That man right there. And it says, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Guys, when I read this, I ask myself, what in the world did that look like for the word of God to come to John? 
Because this helps me to really like grow in the word. What does that look like? I picture a meteor coming like a ball of fire and hitting John while he's doing his Bible study in the wilderness. And in a moment, John goes from doing a Bible study to a man on fire that's about to shake a nation. Like Jeremiah, he couldn't contain what was in him. It was like fire in his bones. He had to release it. And so here comes verse 3. This is where we really pick it up in repentance. Think about all of this. 20 years in preparation. He's been given the title of the Father's messenger. He's got the word of God burning in his heart. My question is, what is he about to speak? Because the next words that come out of John's mouth is holy ground. We should really listen to what the words that John is saying. And look what it says, verse 3. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John's message was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Other gospels give us the fuller language. He was going around saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, John's message is this. Everyone turn. Everyone shift. Everyone change course. Why? Because the king and his kingdom is here. The, the only, listen, the, 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 the proper response or the necessary response, I should say, for a community to experience the inbreaking of God's kingdom is repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning, if you want to experience the king and his kingdom, repent. Turn to him. Give him everything. Give your life to him. And the more that we do that as a community, the more we see his kingdom here on earth. How many want to see God's kingdom on earth? I mean, really, heaven on earth. This is saying the response of a community is to say, God, take me lower. Take me lower. Take me lower. John says, I must decrease that he may increase. The Lord says, the more you allow me to weed out, the more I will take over. And you will see the authority of God. John's saying the king has come. The king has authority over everything. He's not just a king. He is the king of kings. He has authority over sickness, over, over demonic possession, over strongholds. John's saying, everyone, realign your heart, your life to the fact that he is here now, and so is his kingdom. Guys, this is so much better news. John had so, such better news than 60-minute, 20-buck Christianity. <laughs> uh, listen, faithful weekly disciplines is great, but John says, man, there's something so much better. And he's worthy of everything. I feel that, honestly, hearts feel dull many times in the church because there's something so much more that God has called us into. The king is saying, I want it all. I'm worthy of it all. And he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance. Listen, I don't want you to confuse and say, man, well, I can't live up to this standard that John's saying. John's message was not a message of everyone. I want you to promise that you're going to be perfect from now on out. John's message was not a message of empty moralism. Should we be growing? Of course. But John's message was, I want you to give me a promise of perfection. John says, this is the message of repentance. It's about holy intention. It's not about perfection. The reason why, if we could do it perfectly, he would say the son would never have to come. We need the perfection of Jesus to stand rightly before God. That's not what John's saying. What he's saying is, I, I want holy intention. It's the heart that says, Lord, I want my old life to be buried. The Lord says, it'll be messy, it'll be sloppy, there'll be ups and downs, but what the Lord's looking for is a willing spirit. I want my old life to be buried. I want new life in you, Jesus. I want a new leader of my life that's no longer self. I want my mind to be renewed. I want to live by the truth. I want this habit to break, God. I don't know how to do it, 
I don't even know why I like it. God, and honestly, there's a part of me that doesn't even really want to come out of it, but I know there's something inside me that says, God, I, I just, I, would you help me to even want to get out of this? Would you help me to even want to have my mind renewed? That, the message that John is saying is, would you give a yes heart to the Lord? And God right there will meet that and begin to change your life. Begin to change your life. And weed it out of our hearts. And so he says in verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, in other words, Isaiah 40 was the prophecy about John the Baptist. And it says this, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John's purpose, again, was to prepare the way for the Lord. John's, John's purpose was to break up the fallow ground of a nation to get ready to receive Jesus. And then it says this, over the ministry of the one that he's preparing the way for, this is Jesus' ministry when he comes. It says, every valley shall be filled. Oh, it's so good. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked places shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all the flesh shall, shall see the salvation of God. You say, John, what are you talking about? Jesus is coming to change up geography? I don't know. John's giving, or Luke is giving, metaphors of a construction project that's going to happen in the heart of man when the king comes. He's going to radically reorient your life if you say yes. <laughs> and that's not a one-time thing. It's over and over. The Lord keeps bringing us deeper and deeper. And when he shows us, we say, yes, God, do it again. Do it again. Listen to me. My life testimony is that when I needed my inner life reoriented, I could find nothing that can do it. When I was bound in addiction, I could find nothing that can do it. Having a child couldn't reorient my inner life. Having a child couldn't do it. Getting married couldn't change my heart. The prospect of death from the lifestyle that I was choosing could not change my heart. It was not a good enough motivation to be able to shift what was going on the inside. Having the prospect of a successful career wasn't enough to change my heart. But I was introduced to the one that baptizes with spirit and fire. And he rearranged my inner life. There is new life available every single day with the Lord. <laughs> the valleys are the low places. The places that you feel inadequate and insufficient, God says, I will fill it with grace. The mountains are the high places, the places of pride that dominate our lives that we don't even realize are hurting us. If you give your heart to Jesus, Jesus says, I will crush those things. And I will set you free from the high places in your heart. Man, it's such good news. If you were to go back into, you know what, let's read it. Go back to Luke chapter 1 if you would. This is the prophecy of, again, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Look at verse 76, Luke chapter 1. Here's where Zechariah shifts from speaking about Jesus to now speaking about John. He says this, and listen, the language is so similar to what we read. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. This is everything we're just reading. It says to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Why? Because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. So John's mission, he says, you're going to prepare the way, his father says. Because there is a morning light that's coming from heaven. And this morning light is going to touch lives of people sitting in darkness in the shadow of death, and it's going to set them free. It says sitting in darkness. Listen, I've been there. I've been there after I've known the Lord. 
where you, to sit means you feel hopeless. To sit means you've settled in a place and said, I'm just stuck here. And John's saying, if you give your heart to the Lord, that light will touch that place where you're sitting in and he will set you free. He will rescue. Later on in Luke 3, it says, John continued to preach good news. The message of repentance is good news. John is saying your king has come and he can rescue you. But the Lord waits for us to respond rightly to him. So let's go back to Luke 3. You guys with me? So verses 4 through 6 that we just read, the context of Isaiah 40, if you actually read Isaiah 40, it says that the nations will see the glory of the Lord. Now here's my question. Have the nations come to fully see the glory of Jesus yet? No. Which means one thing. John is only a partial fulfillment of Isaiah 40. There's more coming. There's more forerunners coming that are preparing the way. I believe God really wants to commission many to to grab hold of this and say, this is going to be my life. I'm going to be a forerunner like John that's going to clear up fallow ground and hearts to really meet with King Jesus. And then he says this in verse 7. By the way, a lot of times we think John, I believe John was super intense, but John was not an angry guy. He says, I have the joy of knowing the bridegroom. John is filled with joy, he's filled with life, he's intense, but man, he, he knows like what's at stake. And so verse 7, John, you've got everyone from the region coming out to see John now. Everyone's coming. I imagine with modern day illustration, it's like John's holding a conference. It's the John the Baptist conference, 26 AD-ish. Do not miss it. Everyone's coming out and say, all right, John, show us how to really set off a conference the right way. John's about to, look what he says, verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds. Now, from the other Gospels, we know specifically this address was to the Pharisees and the Sadducees here. And here's what he said. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him. Ready? You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Listen to me. You come here to this conference. You say, wow, this is going to be awesome. I heard this man is burning out here. You come, and he looks at a group and says, you brood of vipers. You say, John, that is not a good start. <laughs> but, but listen, all serious, here's what he's saying. He said, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What he's really asking, he says, he's saying to these religious leaders, he says, why are you here? Why are you here? It's a question for all of us to let the Lord pierce our heart every day we come here. Why are you here? He says, are you really here to meet with Jesus? Or are you here to engage in a religious activity? Are you here to inspect? Are you here to criticize? Are you here to partake in something just for the sake of saying, I was there too? Are you here to come and say, hey, everyone else needs this. We're just making sure everyone else is doing this. Or are you going to let your heart? This is a question. Every day, the Lord's got to ask me, Andrew, why are you here? Are you here just to promote your own ministry, Andrew? Is it about, are you really here for Jesus, Andrew? And here's what I find in my own heart. It's really simple when you start talking about Pharisees and Sadducees. Here's what I want to do. I love speaking about them. They're great teaching points. I love to distance myself from them and say, oh, I want to present you a Pharisee because I'm over here and they're over here. And I feel like if we're really honest, my heart looks more Pharisaical than I want to admit. Let the Lord touch our heart and say, why are you here? Are we really letting the Lord touch our hearts? Are we really submitting to his leadership? God, take it out. Put your finger on things. Whatever you want to do. In the Gospel of John, Jesus actually brings this moment back up. 
And he tells the Pharisees, he says, hey, you were willing to go out to see John, a man burning. He says, you were willing to go, and for a while you rejoiced. In other words, what he says is, you're willing to go to the John the Baptist conference. <laughs> you know why? He says, because it placed no cost on a man on your life to go. But when you heard John's words that pointed to me, you refused to come to me through those words. Showing up was one thing. But when it really had a cost and demand in your life, and you said, no, no, no further. Come on, we let our hearts say, Jesus, you are so good. I want deeper. I want to see, I want the kingdom of God to come. I want revival in this place. The, the, man, the, the Shangtung revival in, in China, oh my goodness, it's incredible. The, to read through the testimony, they came to a place where they recognized, unless they really came vulnerable and honest before the Lord, the Lord said, I'm not going to do this. The more they started bringing things before God and saying, Lord, here it is, the Spirit of God kind of started moving. The greatest, one of the greatest revivals in history, the greatest revival in the Baptist denomination. 1931-32, in China. China was rocked because of this, because there were a bunch of people who said, God, whatever it is, I don't care. I'll give you everything. So here we are. It says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Ready? Verse 8. He says, here's his response to him. He says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So he says, why are you really here? He says, are you really here for Jesus? Listen, are we on the board? I feel like Crystal. Everyone loves me. <laughs> and if not, it's all right. Listen, bear, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Here's what John's really saying. Are you really here for Jesus? If, if so, your repentance will look like something. That's what he's saying, guys. That's not my word. John's saying repentance, guys, looks like something. I love seeing the initial responses, and we'll probably have it today where we give our hearts and there's altar calls. But the message of repentance is not just sad altar calls. If it doesn't lead into a change of direction, we haven't actually repented. He says, guys, repentance looks like something. That's beautiful. Because you know what? I want something more than just repeating the process of getting sad because God says, Andrew, this is killing you. And I say, I'm sorry, but then I go right back again. He's given us the grace to say, you can come up out of that. Come higher. Walk in purity. Be a city on a hill set apart in this world. So he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. You know what, you know what, you know what um, this connects with? Um, the gospel, I never saw this before, but the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Mark, they both talk about how Jesus went and preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The same message of John, right? It says everywhere Jesus went, that was his message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I never saw this connection that in both Matthew and Mark, do you know what the very next verse is in both of them? It's the calling of the disciples. Peter and uh, uh, John, the sons of Zebedee, and then, um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and then Peter and Andrew. Two brothers who were fishermen. And when God calls them, they drop their nets and they follow him. In fact, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, actually leave their father's business. It was their father's fisher's business, and they go to follow him. And the Lord was showing me that if you actually read it in context and see what's happening, Jesus, it says, is going everywhere preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The next scene, he's calling his disciples and they leave everything. In other words, dropping your nets is what repentance looks like. The context of the calling of the disciples is that when they left everything, what they were doing is responding to the message of Jesus, saying the king and his kingdom is here. The Lord is asking us, he's, he's, he's worthy of us to drop our nets, guys. <laughs> And the more we do that, the more we experience the things that our hearts are longing for. I imagine that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, 
their father, it was their father's business. I got to imagine that at some point over the dinner table in their house, they probably had discussions of how one day these men would take over that business. They probably discussed the vision that they would have for that business. And when Jesus came, those men had to surrender the vision that they had for their life and come under his vision for their life. Now listen, that doesn't mean everyone needs to change jobs, but the point is that if Jesus calls us to shift, we shift. And I, what I felt the Lord saying is that some have built visions for their life prior to me, and they're not even bad things, but I'm coming and calling them to drop that thing, and they refuse to let it go. And we say, Lord, I want you, but man, I've built this idea of what it was going to look like. I still hold on to it, and we don't realize that's causing us internal turmoil. You will find freedom when you say, Lord, I'm dropping it, and the Lord says, that's where you'll find what you're looking for. Drop the nets. The Lord says, this is what it really looks like to surrender to him. He says, let's just keep it moving here. We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. They were holding to their heritage rather than faith in the Messiah to be right. Man, that just goes in a whole lot of things. Verse 9, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Forerunners get to the root of things. Forerunners get to root systems of false beliefs that we have. Forerunners deal the death blow to what men and women secretly believe about God. John's cutting at the roots. God's going to raise up forerunners. to. Dip. You're going you're to speak. There's some people. Kira, you're going to speak, and you're going to get to root systems of people's lives. You're going to get not just to the outer things. You're going to cut down at the root. It says in, in verse 10, it says, now listen, John's about to show you what bearing fruit of repentance looks like. He says, and the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? That's a good response. Verse 11, and he answered them. Listen, he gets so practical and so specific over what repentance looks like. He says, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Verse 12, tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you were authorized to do. Soldiers also came to him. What shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. It's amazing. Listen, when we, when we talk about repentance, John teaches us something important. Repentance is not this general thing. John is actually hearing their, their, their vocations. He's knowing their specific temptations. And he says, oh, you're a tax collector? Be careful of this. You're a soldier? Be careful of this. You're a stay-at-home parent, be careful of this. You work in the marketplace, be careful of this. You're a minister, be careful of this. Be careful to have language of intimacy, but lose intimacy itself. He would go through all these things and say, real repentance examines your life in a very specific way and say, God, do your work here. Verse 15, we're coming right here to the climax. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. The number one question surrounding and swirling around the life of John was his identity. Over and over and over again, people kept saying, who is John and what is John? <laughs> and most of the time, they, they mistaked him to, to be the Messiah. Think about the anointing on John's life that people kept saying, are you the Christ? <laughs> now, John's ministry was six months or so. From my understanding, John never raised a man from the dead, never partook in things that we know the church is meant to partake in, in many ways, with the kingdom of God. John may have never resurrected a dead man from the grave, but he resurrected a nation from the grave. John shook a nation. He had such an anointing on his life that a whole nation was getting their hearts opened up. America will be saved. <laughs> I don't know, I just feel like saying it. And I believe God wants us to really lay the foundation to get hearts really set on the real thing. 
Now, here's the key. Remember we said repentance is unto reformation, uh, unto revival, unto refreshing, right? Check this out. So they're saying, are you the Christ? Here's John's answer. This is the climax. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He says, you think there's something on my life? He says, I'm not even worthy to perform the act of a servant, a slave on the man that's about to come. And then he says about the one who's coming, who's Jesus. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John says, I baptize with water, but one mightier is coming. He'll baptize you with the Spirit and fire. John says, I baptize with water. What was John's baptism of water? Baptism of repentance. You see this connection? John says, I'm preparing the way. If you enter into my baptism of repentance, you will experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. Come on, this is so, so important. John says, I'm laying the way. Here's the tension again. Repent, therefore, times of refreshing will come. You see the principle again. John says, you say yes to the message that I'm giving of the baptism of repentance. He says, I promise you, one is coming that will baptize you in spirit and in fire. And this is not a single thing. Ephesians 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants to do it again and again and again. I feel the Lord saying again this morning, immerse yourself in repentance. Let every part of your life be just opened up to me and trust me. And if you do, you're going to feel a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Where there was dullness, fire will come back into your life. Where you lost zeal, passion will be restored. Where there's compromise, purity will come back. You'll find hunger where there was just dullness and no appetite. The baptism of spirit and fire. Spirit is power. Fire is purity. We need, we need power and purity back in the church. But the entrance point is us saying, Lord, I, I, I give you everything. I lay it all on the table, Lord. You're the good shepherd that gave up your life, so here's everything. How many times do I find myself and say, God, take me deeper, take me deeper, take me deeper. This goes back to laying the foundation of repentance. God says, I want to take you deeper, but you've got to get this thing in, in foundationally in our lives. John says there's one coming who has authority to release greater encounters. John says there's one coming who has the authority and the ability to, to reconfigure your inner life. John says, I'm, my ministry only touches on the outside. John says, my ministry is an outer courts kind of ministry. But there's a man, he's a holy of holies kind of guy. He's going to get deep into your heart if you give it to him. Baptism of spirit and fire. The how, many, how many of you, honestly, how many, uh, we talk a lot about baptism of spirit. When's the last time we ate for the baptism of fire? We need the baptism of fire. We need the purity and power of the Lord in the, in the, in the house of God again. The fire is, is the blessedness of his purifying work. Look at this next verse. This is where we're closing. Verse 17. It says, his winnowing fork is in his hand. Have you ever heard of Jesus, a message on Jesus with the winnowing fork? <laughs> this, is, this is his leadership he's saying. This is what John says. No greater man to represent Jesus. He says, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now there is a big eschatology theme here of separating the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the chaff, but he also says he will baptize you with the spirit and fire, meaning there's also an individual case where he baptized with fire. Here's the illustration, a farmer. This is what he said Jesus would be like. There's no middle ground with Jesus, guys. <laughs> what it says, man, he, he confronts because he loves. 
And he says, Jesus will come like a farmer who has a winnowing fork. That's the long shovel with the fork on the end. And a, and a farmer hits the wheat and the chaff. The chaff is like the, uh, the husk. You don't want it. He hits it. He throws it in the air. And the wind comes and blows the chaff away because it's light. But the wheat's heavier, so it falls back down. He repeats the process over and over until all of the light chaff is blown away. And the only thing left is the weedy weight. The leadership of God wants to produce, produce something weedy in our lives. Uh, weighty in our lives and weedy. <laughs> Listen, how many, I want, like, this, is, this is really following Jesus, right? God, blow the chaff out of my life. Blow the light stuff out of my life. Blow the fluff out of my life. Lord, the stuff that's robbing my love for you that doesn't let me go deep, blow it out of my life so that the last thing that's left is something weighty. Because in the end, only what's eternal will remain. Everything else that's shaken will, go, will disappear except that which remains in the kingdom of God. Come on, worship team, come on up, if you would. I really believe it's something that's set in motion. Yeah, there's a moment that can happen today, but I really believe God wants to set something in motion. Repentance and just experiencing the baptism of spirit and fire again. If you're a believer, this is not saying to get baptized all over again, but it's a principle of immerse yourself in the repentance of the Lord and you will experience waves of renewal. Here's verse 18. I'll close right here. Verse 18 says this. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. What we just shared is good news. <laughs> Now, look, we've heard of the crowds responding. They said, what shall we do? That's the right response. Here's the other side of that. Here's the other side of the spectrum. Ready? It says, but Herod the Tetrarch, one of the local leaders of the day, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. So the crowds are saying, what shall we do? But Herod who John confronted. John was thrown in prison because he stood up for biblical marriage. Because Herod stole his brother's wife. And John says, he says, no, that's not the way. That's not the way. God is something better. And Herod put John in prison. You know why? Because he didn't want to hear it. And I really feel the Lord was saying that you, we can be like that crowd who says, Lord, what shall we do? Or we can be like Herod that wants to silence the voice of the Holy Spirit. And say, I don't want to hear it. Now listen, sometimes it's directly from the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Lord, many times, will actually bring people into your life to confront your life. And he'll bring someone into your life and say, hey, because I love you, this is not okay. There's, God made you for something so much more. And we have a choice to say, then what shall I do? Or we can say, get out of my life. We have the choice to say, here's the ultimatum. Either you stop bringing this up or I'll cut you out of my life. <laughs> I know that's intense, but that's, that, that's the Lord will, will do that in our life. And I just feel the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts, and we just say, God, what shall we do then? I want more. Yes? Why don't you guys stand with me? Who's ever, and if we don't have just prayer team, Willie, yeah, okay, who's ever on the prayer team can even come up. Um, for those, again, I don't want to break this too much, but if, if you have children, yeah, come on up, guys. Um, again, if just someone who has a child in the back, if you wouldn't mind getting from the kids' room in just a moment, and then you can come back and receive prayer.
But we're going we're gonna to camp out here for a little bit. And I invite everyone, you're more than welcome to stay. If you have to go, we bless you. But one of the ways that we actually can come before the Lord is actually to come before our brothers and sisters in community. God works through that. James 5 says, come, confess to one another. And just sharing. It's not this stoic religious thing. It's just, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. And let them pray over you. And I believe the more vulnerable and real we get, that we will experience not only a baptism of repentance, but a baptism of spirit and fire this morning. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you that you are a good leader. Oh, we thank you for what you're doing right now in this house. We thank you that you love us so much that you will not let us settle in places. Thank you, God. Lord, I even just say, forgive me for when I've kicked and screamed at your leadership. But in the end, I've come to say, thank you that you never stop pursuing me, Lord. Thank you that you've never given up on me, God. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God that brings renewal and revival. Thank you that you are the good shepherd. Thank you that your banner over us is love. Thank you that we can come before you vulnerable and honest. Thank you that you're, you're the only one that we can truly become real with, God. For you do not reject us. Thank you, Jesus, that your blood is enough to cover every sin and every weakness. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a high priest that can empathize with us. Thank you that when we come before you, you do not look down upon us and say, get up. But, Lord, you laid your life down and you lift us up. Thank you that you're going to lift up people again this morning. I thank you for the power and purity that's going to flow from this room. I thank you for the revival that's going to come from this place, Lord. I thank you for the times of refreshing that's going to come. It's changed people that change cities. As the Lord works in us, we're going to work out in this place. So, Lord, have your way. Have your way in Jesus' name.